right, good to see everyone. Um, we took a break last week from uh, our normal service. We have combined service last week. And those of you who have been here, you know that we are going through the book of First John from first verse to the last verse of that book. And one of the challenges we've been throwing out to everybody is to memorize first chapter of First John. And those of you who were here last week, uh, hopefully uh, – Got to see our home group working on that. Uh, we're not by we're by no means memorized all ten verses yet. We all just got to one verse, um, so we're working toward that. And so what I would like to do is today um, continue that. And if you can, if you haven't memorized it, I encourage you to memorize it. Uh, if you have memorized it, you can go ahead and recite it. Uh, we're gonna go to we're gonna focus on verse four today, chapter one, verse four, and I uh, one of the shortest verse. Uh, in the chapter, so it should be uh, easy to remember. So if you can join me, we're going to read. If you, it's on, a, on, the, on the screen here. If you can memorize it, feel free to memorize it. Okay, we're going to go from verse 1 as a review for us, uh, from verse 1 to verse 4. Okay, ready? 1, 2, 3. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So again, this is not, we're just not memorizing for fun or just feel better about ourselves. But I hope that these words will be hidden in your heart. Psalm 119, uh, verse 9 to 11 says that when you hit your word, God's word in your heart, it will keep you from sinning against God. Okay? Uh, so this coming week, verse 4, work on that one, the shortest verse of the whole chapter. Okay? Um, Again, welcome everyone to worship with us. I want to start with a story today as we dive into uh, chapter 2, verse um 12 to 27. Uh, there's a guy named Pastor uh, Floresco. Uh, he was being beaten almost to the point of death. He was getting punched. He was getting getting speared. He was bleeding. His eyes, you can barely see. But for the longest time while he was be- getting beat, um, the people who be- uh, beat him are communists in Romania. And all they wanted from him was just a few names and a few addresses. And the reason why he was being beaten was because he was a part of an underground church back in Romania in the early 1960s and 70s. But he was unwilling to give up these names because he knew if he gave up these names and addresses to these communists, they would go in turn and find those few people and do the exact same thing to him, uh, to them as they were doing it to him. And so he was holding in, he was holding in, and finally the communists realized that the people were beating realized that he is not going to budge. And so what they decided to do is this. They decided to bring in his 14-year-old son, Alexander, thinking that if he won't crack, beating up his son will surely get this man to talk. And so right in front of him, holding him down, they just go at him again and again and again. This 14-year-old son, Alexander, is being beaten to almost to the point of death. Now, I don't know how many fathers out there. I'm a father. That will be an awful sight to look at. And here is this man, this pastor, looking at his son being beaten to death. And finally, at, at one point, he yelled and screamed and said, stop. 
I'm going to tell you all the names you ever wanted. And before we quickly judge him, we can see why he would want to do that. But then that's when the moment when he stopped that son, his son replied it and started screaming it with the little breath that he said. He says this, Father, don't do me the injustice of having a traitor as a parent. Stand strong. If they kill me, I will die with the word Jesus on my lips. See, the, the boy's courage actually turned up the heat even more on him. So these, these communists keep on beating, and finally this, this 14-year-old boy died as a result of that. Can you go to the next slide, please? Quote. Richard Wimmerbrand, he's a, uh, is the founder of uh, Voice of Martyr, a publication that published stories about people very much like this pastor and his son. Uh, if you ever look, uh, there's a, a book called uh, Jesus Freaks. Um, by uh, uh, and one of, I took that story from that um, that book, and uh, he has um, this pastor has this quote that says, "A man really believes not what he recites in his creed, but only the things he is ready to die for." And I think in a room like this, it's so easy to think that we will die for a lot of things. Like it's easy to put our faith and say, "Man, I have faith in God. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna recant. I'm not gonna put. I'm not gonna give away." But I wonder, is the faith that we talk a lot about actually matches what we're willing to die for? See, there's a difference between conviction and belief. A wise mentor of mine once said this to me. He said that I think as a church, we're really high on beliefs, but really low on conviction. That we say we believe a whole lot of things about Jesus, about God the Father, about the Holy Spirit, yet our conviction is awfully low. And you might be wondering, what's the difference between belief and conviction? To me, it's all the same thing. I'll give you a definition of what belief is and what conviction. A belief is something that you're willing to argue for. But a conviction is something that you're willing to die for. A belief can be something that you're willing to post on your blog post to argue over with someone and say, no, this is what Jesus really means. This is what, what I believe about Christ. This is what I believe about the Holy Spirit. This is what I believe about suffering. No, you're wrong. See, a belief is something we are willing to argue for, but conviction, on the other hand, is something that we're actually willing to die for it. That little boy, 14-year-old, a teenager, very much like some of you guys here, a 14-year-old was willing to die for a faith that he believed about Jesus so much that he's willing to encourage his father not to stop the beating and died himself as a result of that. Because that is the type of faith that he has. It is not something he's willing to argue over, but he is willing to die for. And the reason why I started sharing this story with you is this. Because John, as he's going through this book, we're at a point where we talked about how he presents to us three tests. To see whether our faith is real, whether we really have a relationship with Christ. And then where we started reading today in chapter 2, verse 12, he's about to give us the third test. We talked about the first two tests earlier, uh, last few weeks. The first one is that it's a test of obedience. Whether we really obey the commands of Christ. The second test we talked about, the, uh, the, the test of love. Do you love one another? And then John is going to bring to a third test today. 
But before I tell you what the test is, I want to read uh, from verse, pick up the passage from verse 12 because that part seems really out of, out of place. He's kind of going through a first test, second test, and then he will hit verse 12, start talking to these groups of people. And I want to read to us. It's not on the screen, but you can follow along in your Bible. It's verse 12 says this, I'm writing to you, first category, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Second category, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I'm writing a third category. I'm writing to young men because you have conquered the evil one. Then he's going to repeat the same uh, group grouping again, but he will use a little, little different tense. Before he says, I write to you, I am writing to you right now. Now, verse 14, pick up, he will say, I have written to you, meaning that I wrote to you before. Is in the past, right? So it says, I've written to you children, again, the same group, because you have come to know the Father. I've written to you fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. And I've written to you young men, because you are strong, and God's words remain in you, and you have conquered the evil one. First notice, you probably see there's no girls in there. It is not because John was a sexist. John was writing not to explicit group of people like a category of people by gender. He's actually writing to a to different level maturity of believers. There are some younger believers named children. There are some believers who are young men who have grown a little bit. There are fathers who are reproducing uh, uh, spiritually. They are led people to Christ. They are, they are, they are grow, uh, mature in their faith. He's talking to three different groups of people. And what I want you to notice, though, is what he commanded and reminded them. Because John in this book is not writing to a bunch of non-believers. The assumption is that John was writing to believers, people who, let me repeat again, sins have been forgiven. They have come to know the one. They have conquered the evil one. They have known the Father. They have come to the, the one who, who is from the beginning, meaning God. They are strong. The gospel remains in them. I think it is important for us to remember that John, as John is dishing out these, uh, these tests, He's not trying to trip you up and I up and say, man, let's see how many can you fail. The point of these tests is not just to reveal or to, to examine who you are, but it is also to empower us. That's what this book is all about. It's not a list, a checkbox that, oh, you passed the obedience test. You, oh, sorry, you didn't pass the loving test. This list of things that he's sharing with us is for believers, not just to show who you are, but hopefully showing that you are a legitimate believer, children of God. And as a result, knowing who you are, he will encourage you on to do greater things. And another word I want to use is empowering us. See, knowing who we are in Christ empowers us to do what we ought to do. Can you go to the next slide, please? I, sh I want to put up this picture here because this represents to me what John is saying about our Christian life. As we read through 1 John, there's a lot of frustration I, I think is causing, hopefully causing in you. Because whatever he talks about in 1 John seems like it's really hard to accept for most of us as a North American Christian. Because for many of us, when we think of salvation, we think of a dot. It's a decision. It's just this moment. So when did you come to know Jesus? I raised my hand and prayer prayer in youth camp. Maybe I did it at an evangelistic meeting. So we tend to think of our Christian life as just one dot, and there's nothing after that until we go to heaven. And somehow we find our way back to God. But as we look through the book of John, the picture that I want you to remember is your Christian life is a dot. It does start with a dot. It does start with a decision, a transfer of surrendering to Jesus by faith. But it continues on. 
That's why the whole book he keeps talking. You gotta love one another. You gotta obey. It's not a decision. Just to, I want to believe in Jesus, and that's it. I'm gonna share this before George Whitfield once said this. And there were a lot of people coming to know Jesus, and then and then um, and then the people were all excited. And then George Whitfield kind of re- re- replied to them instead of with enthusiasm. He said, "Tell me again after six months," because he knows. For every dot there is, there are many people who don't really continue to walk with Jesus. So I play guitar. I taught guitar many times to many people. One of the biggest things I found is that everyone who wants to learn guitar for the first week always says, what kind of guitar should I buy? And they would shell out $500, $600, $1,000. I'm going to play guitar for the rest of the year. And I always warn them, buy a $100 guitar. Because my experience tells me that for every person who wants to learn guitar, of them don't pick up the guitar a year later. It will be a waste of your money. See, just because you buy expensive guitar does not make a guitar player. And in the same way, just because you make a a decision, maybe not a real decision, but just a raising of a hand does not make a Christian. That's why 1 John, uh, the Apostle John tells us in 1 John, these tests that test your life. Yes, it starts with a dot of decision, but it tests your whole life. Does your life reflect that decision? Again, we talked about it's not a holy perfection, right? But a holy progression. That God is not saying you make the decision, now be perfect. No. But we grow, we continue to walk with Jesus. So, that was the, that's, I, I want to remind us of all these things because as we go into this last test, the third test, this is the test that John continued with. Picking up from verse 15 to 27. Here's the test that John has. It's a theological test. Is a theological test. And how do we pass that test? It has to do with our conviction about God. Again, conviction is something that you're willing to die for. It means it, it dictates, it leads your actions in life. That you live with it. It's not just a good quote on the wall. It's not just a good tweet that you can put on that people will like and share with other people. it got to be something that you buy into in your life. Now, the reason why John did not stop in the first two tests, which are morality tests, right? Like obey commands or a, a, a relational test with loving one another. He didn't stop there. It's because you can potentially love people and be moralistic, be a moral person, and yet not be a Christian. There is a way for you to be really moral, a good person, and really generous and love people around you, and yet not be a Christian. Because being a Christian does not mean just be a good person, does not mean just to love people, but it involves a theological understanding of Christ, of God the Father, of the Holy Spirit. That is what ultimately separates a good person from a Christian. In fact, a Christian would know, would not call himself a good person. Because he understands who God the Father is, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And so this is a test I want to focus on today, is as John leads us into this passage, that the third test is a theological test, a conviction, a convictions about God. Let, let me show, show, show you my hands today. What I would like to do is I want to share with you three convictions that we need to have, and then we're going to go through why it's important to have those three convictions. Why it matters. Now, when I share those three convictions with you, you'll be like, duh, like, man, this is so easy. This is Christianity 101. But my encouragement or exhortation for each one of you is I want to challenge you. Do you actually believe in it? Because what you believe, what you're convicted about, these three convictions, is going to show up 
you're going to run into resistance in this life. And we'll talk about those and why these convictions are important, okay? So quickly, three convictions that we need to have. The first one is this, that God the Father loves us. God the Father loves us. And these are things I, I pull verses out from the book of John because he's the same author who wrote the, uh, the, the letter to First John, right? So God the Father loves us. So John 3, 16, we all know this verse. Let's read that together. Ready? One, two, three. God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The first conviction is simply this, that God loves his creation. God loves us. That's one of the reason, not the only reason, but that is one of the reasons why he sent, willing to send his one and only son. God loves it. God doesn't want the worst for us. He, in fact, he wants the best for us. That's one conviction. Number two conviction is this, that Jesus died and raised from the dead to save us. There is a point why Jesus had to incarnate, come into flesh in this world, and to die and raise from the dead. And that purpose is for redemption of your sin and my sin. John chapter 14, and by the way, he is the only way to do that, because John reminded us in John 14, 6, this, that I am the way, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is a very exclusive claim. No one, no way, Jesus is the only way. That is a conviction. It is, has nothing to do with, it doesn't say go to church more. It doesn't say read the Bible more. It doesn't say give more money to the poor. Pray more. That will get you to the Father. No, it says Jesus himself is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. I wonder how many of us actually believe in that. Is convicted about that. That is the only way to the Father. Number three, the Holy Spirit lives in us. And now let me uh, clarify us, meaning those who have put their faith in Jesus. That the Holy Spirit lives in Christians. Boy, think about that for a second. John 14, 26, but the counsel of the Holy Spirit, Jesus speaking, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. If you are a believer today, this truth tells us that the Holy Spirit lives in you right now. That you have the full counsel of God in you. That he will teach you, he will remind you, he will come alongside of you. That's what a counselor is, walk with you. In fact, the word in, in the original language, uh, Holy Spirit, uh, the counselor is walking alongside. Literally, that's what it means, walking alongside. That's who is living inside of us as Christians. Now, do we really actually believe in that? Like when we face trials, when we face suffering, when we face difficulties, when we face temptations of sin, do we actually believe that the Holy Spirit inside of us can enable, empowers us, and lead us out of that temptation? Or do we just wave our white flag and say, sorry, God, I can't do this. I have no power to do this. So now those are the three things I want to share with, three convictions. But the question we must ask is this, why why do we need to have, why, why is this so important? Why do we need to have convictions about these things, which is the core of this passage? It's the reason why you and I need to have convictions about these three truths is because there are two oppositions in your life that will never stop as long as you live on earth. 
two things will do two things that will two arenas two influences that will be on high alert and high attack in your life and my life every single day until we go back to heaven and John said, the, the, and point, us, point out to us these two things, and, and, and one of the reasons why we need to have these convictions is because these opposition, we're, we're, we need to understand that we don't live in neutral. Meaning that you and I are not just cruising here. This, our life, I sometimes wonder our picture of, of our life is like a cruise. You ever, ever, have you ever been on a cruise before? You get all the food, all the entertainment, someone make your bed. You can eat anytime you want, sleep anytime, and no one bothers you. You want to wake up, you can get uh, you can get a call in the morning. If you want to sleep in the middle of the, of the day, you can do that. And sometimes that's how we feel about our lives on earth after we come, become a Christian. We are living on a cruise ship. But God is telling us, no, there's actually someone want to attack you. Someone want to throw you overboard. There is someone who is against you as much as you think that there is for you. And the two things that John pointed out for us is this. I'll tell you the two things, and I'll go through each one of them. The first opposition that we see from John is this. is the world. The world. John, uh, 1 John 2, 15 and 17, the world. Let me read that for us. The world is the number one opposition in your life and my life. And the crazy thing is we live in the world every single day. And we are facing that every single day. What, what about the world that we're facing that's opposition? Let's read from the, from the passage. Verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. I think when we read this verse, I think it's easy uh, to misread it. So let me tell, start with what? The world is not. John is not telling you and I to say to, to not love the world in the sense of don't love God's creation. Don't love the world as in don't love people in the world. That is not what John is getting after. He's not saying, man, everything in the world is bad. Like, don't talk to people. Like, don't use things. Remember when we first talked about First John, there are a group of people in John, John's time saying that physical things are bad. So avoid physical things. Go to the mountain. Go to the desert. Live in isolation. That is not what John is getting at. Because we know that because in verse 16, it clarifies what the world, what he's getting after. He's not saying the world is a bad thing on its own. But more in the sense of what the world's uh, perspective, what the world's way of living, what's the world uh, of uh, approach to life. That is where the poison, that is where the sin is. Because in verse 16, he clarifies to us this. What is the thing so bad about the world? He says this, for everything in the world, there are three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of his eyes, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possession. I want you first circle the word lust. See, in the world, the world teaches us to lust. It is not the, 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 it is not the, the problem that God created bad things. God created good things. But what the world teaches us, we need to lust after those things. And you may be wondering, man, how do I know? Am I lusting after some things? See, most of the time when we lust after things, it's not because they're bad, but because they're good. So a definition I like to use for lusting is this, when good turns to God. When anything, anyone that is good, but when you turn it, that person or that thing to God, that's a lust. 
when you turn good things to make them God, the Bible calls it idolatry, is lust. When you want the good thing more than you want God, that's lust. And the Bible, and the passage tells us this, there is the lust of the flesh, that our human desire, and uh, on Friday we have a, uh, we have Katie talk to, uh, come to talk to our youth, talking about college and getting in college and how do you thrive in college. How do you stay connected with Christ in college. I think one of the things as students and even for those of us who are professionals, there is this fleshly desire to climb, to get better, to grow, to, to climb the corporate ladder, to get the GPAs, to, 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 um, to get all A's. And we, we, want to, we want naturally to be ambition, to ambitious. And so what happened is those are – so the job itself is not bad. The grade itself is not bad, but it's what we want to do with those things that makes it a lust. So we start growing toward that grade, start finding that job, and make those things as God. That's the fleshly desires that John is getting and saying, don't buy into that. So we have good things like rest, but then when, when rest turns to God, we, that becomes laziness. Sex is great within the parameter of what God intended to be, but then it becomes bad when it becomes God. It becomes pornography. It becomes affair. Beauty is a great thing. Dressing nicely is great, but until you turn that to be a fleshly desire to draw attention to yourself or to make a statement to other people, that's when the lust of the flesh starts showing. That's the way of the world. That's what you're trained to do in the world. But not only lust of the, of the flesh, it says the lust of your eyes, what you see. Again, what you're seeing, do you turn those good things into God? Lust your eyes. The Bible said we need, our eyes need to be good. We have a saying in, in the world too, right? The eyes is the shadow, uh, is, uh, what do you say? The eyes is the window to your soul. And what you see matters because the moment you look at something, it connects to who, uh, who you are, what you're thinking about. So we to turn good things into God things. You know, you saw people what they have on the Instagram account. Guess what happened? You start wanting. You start getting jealous for it. You start get. You start resenting those people. Maybe you don't have a family that have it all together. And somehow, when we look at a picture of someone's Instagram, it looks like they have it all together. You start resenting them. Man, why do they deserve a family like that? Maybe you, not just resentment, maybe even start making, causing you to make bad decisions, trying to get those things. Man, I saw that bag online. Man, you start justifying and convincing yourself, I need that. I need that pair of shoes. I need that purse. I need that car. I need that house. Because you start looking at it and start wanting it, and you start do, making bad decisions. I don't care to come to church anymore because I'm going to work Sunday all day long to make up the money that I can save to buy whatever that I wanted to buy. You see, one thing can lead to another, and here's the th- which lead to the third one. The, the things of the world, why is this so bad that John is saying us do not love it is because of pride of our possessions. Letters behind our names. MD, JD, PhD, MS, BS. Grades, money, gadgets, gears. And we don't really need a whole lot. We got in this conversation in our home group a couple weeks ago. What would be really be the minimum for us to live? I guess a lot less than you think. Think of how many pairs of shoes you really need. And how much food we really need to eat. I really appreciate what uh, Katie shared on Friday when she was sharing with the youth and talking about how grade has such a hold on her. 
That's all she wanted to get to be accepted into her dream school. And the crazy thing is God actually let her get accepted. But in order for her to be humbled, God took it away. Due to some circumstances in her family, she couldn't attend the school that she actually got into. She would, I assume that she was, I mean, she said to herself that at that moment she got accepted. She felt like, man, this is like, I got it. Like, this is what I'm about. And possession, things, names, gears, things, uh, uh, gadgets can do, can do that to us. And the verse 17, John says, why these things don't work, why you need to be careful is because of verse 17. It says this, and the world with its lust, the things that you turn good to God, they are going to pass away. They are passing away. Not even in future tense. They are passing away. Guess what? The iPad I've been using, every moment it's being used, is on the road to destruction. It's dying sooner rather than later. The moment you start using the battery is already on the trajectory of death. Think about it. The moment you were born, I don't not to be morbid, you're already dying. That's the things of the world. It will not last. And the Bible is so real about this. Watch out. Don't love the things of this world. Don't even love, love, love the way of this world because it will pass away. There is a final destination. There will be an ending. It is not a circle of life. There is no reincarnation. The Bible is clear. That's why I even give a whole book to it at the end of the Bible. That there will be an ending. And all things will be made new. And what you're chasing after today and tomorrow, it is a part of the world. It will not last. There are only three things that last. Souls of people, God's word, and God himself. And so John said, don't, 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 don't invest. And this is why, uh, why, we need, uh, why we need the first conviction about the Father. Is this. So we need to embrace the love of the Father. Can you go on the next slide, please? Because unless you know that God loves you, you're going to start chasing the things in this world because you think somebody else loves you. Because you you start equating the things in this world as love to yourself. Unless you truly see that God loves me so much that there is a greater future than what I'm living for today, you will start settling. It's like going to a buffet. Instead of getting that piece of primary that is on the carving card, those king crab legs, those raw oysters, those shark fin soup, if they even serve it anymore, you just start chowing down the, the, the garlic bread. You start chowing down the white rice that you can make at home. You start eating all of that. You're like, oh, man, it's so good. This is the best buffet in the world. And then you hear, hear your friends like, dude, what are you doing? We just paid 50 bucks for this. You're eating rice and cereal? That's what God is saying. God gave us his love. That he sent his son Jesus to die. That's why we need to be convinced of that in order to live out, to not love the world. Here's the application I want to give you. It's insulation, not isolation. Insulation, not isolation. God is not telling us to live in a box. Live in a six-by-six six cell and just don't interact with the world. God is not saying your phone is bad, but it's what you do with your phone. When the phone becomes God, that's when you're in trouble. See, insulation, our new church, we're, we're just starting putting some insulation on top. If you've never seen, I actually learned a lot about building houses these days because of our church moving in new, uh, to the new building, a new property. And so they start putting these insulation. You know what insulation does? Is to keep your house cool. It's not to keep you outside the house. See, isolation means we're going to have no doors and no windows in our house. Just lock you in a room. 
That's what isolation does. See, what John is getting at is don't love the world. doesn't mean don't get into the world. Be insulated. How do we have insulation? Here's the, here's the test I want to give you. I want to encourage you to do this at home. Do you have boundaries? Do you have things? Do you have rules around your world, around the things that you – do you have boundaries, time that you don't use your phone? Do you have boundaries how you use your time, your free time? Do you have boundaries for your work? Just because work is good does not necessarily mean it is not lust after uh, – it is not lust. Do you have boundaries in the way you interact with people? Do you have, do you have boundaries? Do you have – are these things and people mastering you or are you the masters of these things? Because if there is no boundary, then you are being mastered more so than you think you are mastered of. Here's, so here's the application, insulation, not isolation. Here's opposition number two. Not only the world is after us, the second opposition is this, that Satan's army of liars are after us. Satan's armies of liars are after us. And, and there's a name for it in John chapter 2, verse 18. He says this, children, it is the last hour. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. <coughs> By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. But if they had not belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. There are liars among the capital C church. That just because everyone is at church does not make one a Christian. We've said it repeatedly. See, John said even in his time, during his time, one of the last standing alive apostles involving in the church, there are still people called antichrist. You don't know what antichrist opposite, opposite of Christ, but not just antichrist we know is Satan. But he says this, there are even now many antichrists. Think of like little liars. Satan's army of liars infiltrating into the church. And here's the crazy thing. Look at what it says. They went out from us. Like Satan did not just like, man, let's build up this army and just infiltrate everybody and just talk to everybody. No, he raised them up even within the church. That people who thought at first that they are believers, but I, for whatever reason, we, I don't get to be a judge, you don't get to be a judge. For whatever reason, they had deviated or never accepted Christ for who he really is, the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so they start buying to these lies and start, instead of working for God, they start becoming antichrists for Satan. And that is the crazy thing. It's starting from, it can be some of so, someone from within the church. And how do we know these people are antichrist? Verse 22 tells us very clearly. Verse 22. Who is the liar? Who are these antichrists? If not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Who denies that Jesus is the Lord. Who denies Jesus is the Messiah. Who denies Jesus is the Savior. You see, there is a way for us to be involved in Christianity without Jesus. You can be a part of Christianity, not legitimately. You can be doing the church thing, the Christianity, quote-unquote Christianity thing, without actually believing in Jesus. There are churches being built with 10,000 people in attendance, yet not believing that Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, and, and the Lord of our lives. In this country and in the world. 
this is why believing Jesus is the only way is so important. That's why John 14, 6, that conviction is important. Jesus himself rebuked the Pharisees, who asked as quote-unquote spiritual as there is. John 5, 39 to 40. You, he's accusing these scribes, these people who know the scripture, who knows the Bible. Just because he studied the Bible does not make one a Christian. It says, says you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. And yet they testify about me, but you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Jesus said these people are willing to go to the Bible. And yet they are refusing to go to Jesus himself, which is really the Bible, the word of life. Are you convinced, are you convicted that there's no way that you can get to come before the Father except through trusting in Jesus Christ, that none of your work will be worthy enough to earn and, and please God himself, that you need Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the only way to truth and life. I just had this conversation with someone. I was counseling somebody, not from this church, from another church, because they have a few uh, quote-unquote brothers who started having these Bible study in their church. And they, all they talk about is anything but Jesus. They talk about exciting topics like prophecy. And they go through the scripture and go to Revelation. Man, look at these prophecies. Man, it's being fulfilled right now. This last time. And when they were confronted to talk about Jesus, like, well, you don't talk about Jesus. doesn't want you to talk about him. Jesus wants you to talk about the future. And talk about how you get there. And how about how do we get there in the future? Oh, don't worry about it. This is what is really the Bible. This is the secret knowledge that most people in the churches don't know about. But we know about these prophecies have been made. So come, come to our Bibles and listen to us. You see, it seems so far out, uh, far-fetched out there, but there are there are people that are being used by Satan today. And I'm not saying go around looking like, are you, are you, you know, let's not be doing that around here, right? But I think the reason why I point this out and John point this out is because of the second conviction. Go to the next one. Is that, go on, we'll talk about Jesus in the next one. Is the Holy Spirit is walking with us. Are you convinced as a believer, the Holy Spirit lives in you because the scripture says this. Go to the next slide, please. In verse, in verse 26, I have, John speaking, I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, if you have really put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you are convinced that God the Father loves you and Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, here's what he says. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you don't need anyone to teach you the anointing has to do with uh, with the holy spirit that god holy spirit lives in jesus in john chapter 17 6 14 16 17 talks all about the holy spirit living that will, he will be the one living in you and that anointing is just remains in you so he will be with you he remains in you. he said no one need to teach you remember the background about this book is that there are some people who say you need secret knowledge you need these mystical experiences. If you don't have them, you may not be the real chosen people. But God said through John that you don't need, you don't need, if you have the Holy Spirit, you don't need anyone to teach you about these things because the Holy Spirit teaches you the truth. Now, this doesn't mean you don't need to go to you know, listen to a sermon or Bible study and all of that. Teaching is important, but the Holy Spirit can help you to understand things that you would never understood. Think of about the time when you accepted Christ. I would guess that that was not the first time you heard of about Jesus for many of us. But for whatever reason, that time, somehow it makes sense to you that you feel like, 
man, I'm really a sinner like I was told. Previous times, ten, ten times you might have thought, man, these people are so judgy telling me that I'm a sinner. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit work take hold of your heart and illuminates your heart. You're like, man, I am a sinner. I need Jesus. And that's what John is saying. That spirit remains in you. And what it does is when it remains in you, it helps you to remain in him in the future. That as the world is attacking, as these liars are coming around, around you, you start feeling, man, maybe this doesn't seem right. What they're talking about Jesus or lack thereof, about end time, about Man, just work harder. It just doesn't feel right because the voice of God is in you. The Spirit of God is reminding you. That is not how you came to faith in the first place. Why will you sustain your faith this way? Here, I just want to end with a, a couple of applications for you. How do we know, how can we continue to abide in the Holy Spirit, uh, abide in Jesus? Because that's the command. The word remain, abide, happens six times in those two, two three verses in 25 to 27. Here's the first one. Spend time in God's word. I know we talk about this all the time. But I have yet to find a passage in the Bible that says the spirit of God will lead outside of his word. Because every instant in the Old Testament, God himself speaks through angel and prophets. And every instant in the New Testament, he says, I will remind you of the things you have learned about my word. Holy Spirit work hand in hand with the whole, with Jesus Christ and his word. So if you don't spend time in God's word, there's no way you can clean your life. There's no way you know what to clean your life. It's like taking a bath, brushing your teeth for every day. We are living in the world, and we need some cleansing and washing. And that's what the word of God does. Here's the second one. Stand firm in your convictions and not sway by uh, circumstances. I think this is where why conviction is so important. That as you dwell in God's word, you start building these convictions. Building it means you start putting faith into it, not just saying about it. You say, man, when things happen, I'm going to trust, even though it doesn't make sense. When some, what, what we just pray for in New Zealand, man, it doesn't make any sense. I love how uh, Tim, right, who, who, yeah, uh, and, and share and pray as we, it, it, on service, there's nothing good. What good can it bring when people died in a shooting in a mosque? I don't know. But God is sovereign. That's the only thing I can hold on to. And trust God with it. And in the meantime, I'm going to minister to the people. Here's the last one. We need to uh, spend time in God's word, stand for a conviction, not be swayed by circumstance. Here's the third one. Is keep its, make sure you're correct. Keep it sincere, spiritual. You want to be spiritual, keep it sincere. In your faith and relationship with God. You want to be spiritual, not like, not like I need a grade for God, but you want to really be connecting and loving God. Keep it sincere. Here one the verse I want to share with you in 2 Corinthians 11.3, which kind of ties it all together. Here's Paul speaking to the church whom of which he rebuked the harshest. He says, I fear that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And talk about the word seduction. And the world is seducing us. Satan is lying to us all to take our minds off of him, but a sincere, pure devotion. That we're not playing games. We're not just faking it till we make it. But that a sincere love 
a pure love that even when it's impure, we can come back before God and say, God, I confess this impurity in my life, in my heart. I want to confess to you and make, and, and that's what God is after, keeping it sincere before him. And these convictions help us to do that. I want to end uh, in one song. We just sing the verse and chorus, a uh, song called, He Will Hold Me Fast. And I want to end on this song because I want to give us some time to reflect on this. Because so much of it we can think, I need to hold fast to God. But the assumption and the reality that those of us who are in faith in Jesus Christ, He is holding us together. He is the one holding us, binding us together. Holding us in, in the midst of temptation. That's why I started in the sermon in the beginning. It says this, that not only these tests are supposed to reveal to us service to us who we are it should empower us because we know we're gods and this song reminds us that he will hold you fast he will hold you fast so let's sing that together